Welcome to today's ILTA pre-recorded podcast panel interview entitled Too Many Updates. I'm your moderator, Chris Hockey, Records and Information Governance Expert. I'm joined today with Ben Radcliffe, who is the Senior Director of Security Operations with Optiv's Managed Services Group, uh, who has over 15 years in security and IT operations. Ben currently supports a large team of security professionals across a wide array of sub-disciplines, including IAM, vulnerability, management, PKI, endpoint, and firewall. And we're also joined uh, by Kathy Ellsby, who is the applications manager at Von Schenick and King, a law firm located in Syracuse, New York. Kathy has over 20 years of experience in the legal technology field, starting her career with help desk support before moving to the firm's infrastructure networking team, where she stayed for 10 years. For the past four years, she's been solely focused on application management at the firm. So welcome, Ben and Kathy. Good to be here. Thank you. So the conversation today is really around how do we balance um, the number of updates uh, that we need to be making to all of our uh, organization's uh, applications, whether they're on-premise or cloud. Uh, so, you know, how do we kind of manage all those updates coming in, the frequency, uh, security side of it, um, but also still making it so that folks can um, can do the work they need to do. So, uh, Ben, I'll kick the first question over to you. Uh, how do you balance the need for security patches with the potential disruption that updates can cause to ongoing operations? Thanks, Chris. So, so yeah, ultimately, for, for me, this is a question of how an organization chooses to respond to risk, and, and more specifically, when when to prioritize confidentiality over integrity and, and availability. Um, a well-defined risk matrix should really kind of guide priority and, and timing of specific patch deployments. Um, and what you're looking for there is, is defined inflection points for, for accepting system downtime over delaying a patch. If that decision and the criteria for those decisions are kind of made in advance, it becomes a lot easier to, to move at, at, at a cadence. Um, and this is going to be especially critical for systems and applications that generate revenue or transact in sensitive data. Um, part of that calculation is going to depend also on how how revenue is generated, right? So a, a streaming services definition and criticality that it assigns to uptime is going to look very different from, say, a claims adjudication system that might only be running batches on a weekly or daily basis, right? Um, so, so being able to to really understand, you know, where those inflection points are, and and be able to plan ahead for some of those complex patches where where there might be um, sort of dependent secondary patches and and things that might lead to downstream consequences, um, really really comes down to that risk matrix um, being key. Thanks, Kathy. What about you from from your standpoint with applications? How how do you uh, kind of manage that balance? So we at the law firm here, we have over 80 applications that we support and we are a Windows shop. So we view Microsoft Windows security updates as, as a necessary evil. That's not something that we negotiate on. We work with the infrastructure team to make sure that they get updated and rolled out immediately. Uh, security patches uh, for Microsoft, typically in the past, they don't affect the applications nearly as much as some of their other updates that they put out. And now that they do patch Tuesdays, we can sort of anticipate it a little bit better if that happens. Um, so um, a lot of our applications too are now SaaS. And so we leave it up to the vendor to do that. And we're sort of at, at their mercy 
in order to uh, update the patches and and just kind of cross our fingers that that it works okay and we we trust them to to do so. Yeah, bit of a bit of a trade off there. So, uh, moving to so Kathy, I'll uh, turn this next question over to you. So, how do you ensure compliance with industry regulations when the third party software is constantly being updated? So I'm going to take the stance in a in a in a legal field. The regulations and and industry standards uh, we look at it as as the legal side of it. The laws are kind constantly updating. The regulations are constantly updating, and the applications have to keep up with it. Uh, we have programs such as uh, tax forms and estate forms, um, and bankruptcy forms where all of these change constantly depending on what the courts want, what the laws change. So we are reliant on the vendors to make sure that we are compliant with with the laws and the regulations that change. And sometimes that's a big challenge because uh, these are smaller applications that it, it's probably somebody developing out, to, out of their garage. So they don't always notify us in a timely fashion. Um, and sometimes the law has changed and we've had forms that were wrong that have been submitted to the court that had to be resubmitted. And so we are we are contacting them constantly and we have a schedule set for applications and vendors where that fall into that category where we're we're contacting them to get the latest update. Then what about your your perspective on that? So I, I think it's really going to depend on on what you're trying to comply with, right? Um, FedRAMP and PCI DSS, they, they both require patches to be deployed within 30 days of release. Um, most cyber insurance policies and compliance frameworks are, are going to include specific exclusions and, and requirements around patch management. Um, NIST's guidance, um, which, which is kind of that central building block of a lot of those compliance frameworks is, is a little more strategic and broad. Um, really, it just comes down to, you know, have a backup plan, have automation where possible, but but most importantly, do something, right? A, a maturing program for patching is better than no program at all. Um, and, and oftentimes, a, a good auditor is is going to know to ask some of those questions, right? What is the stable release versus the most current release? Um, you know, if you, if you aren't patched to current, you know, what are some mitigating controls or some mitigating factors there? Um, and, and as always, right, vulnerability management and automated patching are, are, are going to eliminate a lot of the guesswork there yeah good good points um so ben what role do devops and ci cd pipelines play uh in managing the frequent update cycles of third-party software in a cloud environment and maybe you could uh for our, our audience define the ci cd pipeline as, as well yeah, so so CI/CD, um, continuous integration, continuous development. Um, it's kind of that that life cycle, the 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 updated version of of SDLC, right? The the modern version of it. Um, CI/CD, from my perspective, is really what makes that frequent update cycle possible, right? It's it's great for custom applications that are built on cloud platforms like AWS. Saves tons of hours on manual code review and security testing. Um, allows developers to to push and release those much needed patches closer to zero day events than than was previously possible. Um, there are some additional security risks and, and threat vectors that come along with that, though. So, um, continuing with the AWS example, right? AWS 
typically you'll ingest a code commit from a code repository that'll move into an S3 bucket. And then you'll usually perform some sort of security validation through, through tools that are either, you know, natively through, through AWS security hub or some other third-party tool. Um, and then you'll build your golden image out of that. Right. Um, if any component of that stack is compromised from a security perspective, you, you transform your CICD pipeline from rapid patch deployer to malware broadcaster. And, and we saw an example of that in, in the 2019 Sunburst supply chain attack. Um, effective identity governance, privileged access management, um, mitigating security controls in general are really, really around both the person and non-person credentials. Um, that's, that's what's going to help uh, protect your CI/CD stack. Um, you can also introduce approval workflows. Um, all of those are keys in, in mitigating CI/CD risk. Kathy, from an applications kind of management standpoint, what what's your your take on that on those pipelines? As a customer, I I feel we're often on the receiving end of the failure of those pipelines, and and I don't think that these people have consulted with Ben for sure sometimes. <laughs> Um, I'd I'd like to see um, I'd I'd like to see a company have something like that into place because I feel like a lot of times we're getting um, updates and and that have clearly not been tested um, have clearly gone out with errors in them and and I I, I kind of want to say what what are you doing <laughs> so and we're we're fighting with them to to fix it so we're we're on that end unfortunately. Yeah, no, good, good point. Um, so, Kathy, how do you prioritize which third-party software updates to implement right away versus the ones that can wait, especially when you've got kind of a, a larger, more complex IT environment? If there's a known issue with one of the applications that's out, that usually gets um, that's prioritized over all other application deployments at that time. And we also have to make sure that that deployment doesn't um, doesn't interfere with with other smaller deployments or any of the applications that are already installed on the on the system. Uh, that's really where we start first. And then um, if it's obviously if there's a security hole somewhere in the application and the vendor is saying this absolutely has to be done right now, we'll do that too. Um, we'll do that immediately. That goes um, before all the other ones too. And then if there's a feature that somebody is asking for uh, that we know is in the next version, then we'll make that a priority too. Um, other than that, we kind of just go on a, on a um, we just go on a, a schedule where if it's not gonna be too disruptive, then we take our time and really test it out and we do a slow roll, roll out at that point. And do you use a, a, a different matrix when determining which ones to implement right away versus the ones that you would wait wait on? So, you know, ideally you would really want your your patch strategy to be deeply embedded into your, your vulnerability management, your threat exposure programs, right? Um, and and where, where that becomes really helpful is being able to correlate specific patches to known vulnerabilities that are remedied by those patches. And um, most of the tools that are out there today for vuln management do a great job of, of that correlation. Um, I, I think where, where 
some of those tools fall short a little bit as they do a really good job of, of being able to point out, hey, this is high risk. This is this is a known vulnerability, um, you know, CVSS rating of nine or 10. Um, what it doesn't do a good job of necessarily um, is, is being able to kind of understand the impact. Right. So asset count is one that that tends to be uh, tempting to, to rely on. Oh, I've got 10,000 assets that are all impacted with this this high risk score. Um, but but what is the value of the data that is passing through those systems? What kind of revenue is being generated or protected by those systems? Um, you know, if the answer is I have a single device through which passes all of my critical data, um, that might be the right answer to prioritize over a lower priority um, vulnerability that's maybe affecting a thousand machines. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've been talking kind of high high level. Um, I think it would be interesting to hear if there's any real world cases where failure to update third party software led to any kind of significant issues and how those could have been avoided. So Ben, maybe I'll start with you. Do you have any uh, specific examples uh, of this? All sorts of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so one, one of the well-known examples, right, is, is the 2017 Equifax breach. Um, High, high level, it, it was a parsing error uh, in Apache struts that allowed remote code execution. Um, Apache was on it. They they developed an emergency patch, uh, but uh, an internet-facing client portal remained unpatched with Equifax for um, something like six weeks, um, which which might not seem like a lot of time, right? Uh, but it created this window of opportunity for attackers who saw the same CVE bulletin, uh, and they were actively scanning internet-facing websites for, for that vulnerability. Um, that small window was enough to allow that initial point of ingress, um, broad privilege escalation, lateral movement, and it culminated in about half a billion dollars in direct financial impact and kind of incalculable amounts of, of brand and reputational damage. Um, and it's tempting to, to kind of look at that and, and think that the security lesson is, well, yeah, patch your stuff, right? Um, to me, the, the real answer has a few more dimensions than that, right? Um, the the pervasiveness of that attack would not have been so damaging had there been other mitigating security controls in place, right? Network segmentation, identity and access management, detection capabilities, all of those controls would have would have significantly mitigated the impact of that one uh, slow patch. Kathy, what about from your uh, your experience? Can you think of, uh, or I'm sure you can, do you have any real world uh, examples of where failure to update the third party software led to any kind of specific uh, specific issue? Yeah, like Ben, a lot of them, but. <laughs> um, and I'm dating myself with this one. So, um, but yes, there was there was a time and I, I don't remember the exact time, but sometime in the last 20 years, uh, we were there was Office 2003 and there was Office 2007. And, and for those um, who've been in the industry as long as me, um, we'll remember that was the time that Microsoft went from a .doc file extension to a .docx. And I can't remember if Microsoft didn't release uh, the compatibility uh, tool on time for, for 2003 Office or if we were late getting it, um, but we were on 2003 a lot longer than, than, um, than we wanted to be because our DMS could not be updated again, another problem. Um, frequent to law firms who have an on-premise system, that's a huge undertaking in order to do that. It, touches every single machine and it's interwoven and all these 
all these applications. It touches every single application. So nobody ever wants to update the DMS. So we held off. And um, but a lot of our clients and other firms went uh, to Office 2007 before us, and we were starting to get DOC X files, and we were not able to open them. Um, and on the other side too, we were sending out DOC files, and and they couldn't open them either on the other side. So we had uh, several ang angry attorneys and several angry clients too. It was not our finest moment uh, for sure. And I'm not sure back then we would have been able to do anything different because that was just the nature of the beast of, of DMS and, and office um, and, the, and the updating timelines. But now with uh, our DMS being a SAS application uh, and office having the uh, auto updates, um, I know I'm, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, that we'll never have this again. <laughs> Yeah, both both really good good examples. Well, I want to thank uh, both Kathy and Ben for joining me today. Uh, it's been a really interesting and I think important conversation to have. Um, I hope those who will be tuning in to view this session later will find it uh, as valuable as I did. So thank you both, uh, Kathy and Ben, for your time today. Thank yeah, you for having me. Us. Appreciate it.